We're going to start our study this morning, Colossians chapter 1. And again, we're spending the whole month of January looking at the first two verses, which makes this more topical than expositional, but it's a biblical topic. And it's truth that is revealed in Scripture. And so we want to be faithful to be uh, uh, true to the Word of God as we study this. Our focus is, of course, has how do we increasingly glorify God in the coming year? How do we as God's people, increasingly reflect His glory? How do we love Him more? How do we love Him better? How do we experience more obedience? How are we closer to Him in the days ahead? than we have been in previous days. And that does not discount where God has brought us. God has brought us so far, and we're grateful for His loving kindness and His goodness to us. But we don't want to plateau. We want there to be a kind of unholy, well, back up, not unholy. We want a kind of holy discontent. What's next? How do we continue to move? How do we continue to grow? Colossians chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, those two verses read, this is the introduction to Paul's letter to the Christians at Colossae. I don't know if you can see it on the screen or have a copy of it in your scriptures. It's very brief. Listen as, as I read aloud. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And that's where we started last week. Knowing who you are. Knowing the direction that God has for your life. Being willing to go wherever God leads. To be willing to do whatever God commands and gives us the opportunity to do for His glory. Paul was an apostle by the will of God. Complete conviction. Absolute knowledge. He allowed God to target his life, if you will. So Paul, an apostle by of Jesus Christ Jesus by the will of God. And then the next phrase is where we're going to spend our time this morning. It's just four words. And Timothy, our brother. To the saints, verse 2, and the faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, that's going to be next week, grace to you and peace from God our Father. And that's going to be week 4. And so let's pray together, and then we will jump right into our study. Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you for the truth and for the 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 principles of life, the promises that you make. You are faithful. You are good. And you desire more of us. Uh, we, we come to you with all that we are and all that we have at salvation, and yet we continually seek to regain uh, territory in our own lives. And I pray that you'll just continue to claim more of us, that we will be able to say that we have crucified, that we have denied ourselves, taken up our cross, and we are following after you wholeheartedly, holding nothing back following after you, for your glory, that your name may be known, that lives may be changed and touched, that people may be brought from death to life, that we will experience your power, amazing power, and your peace and your grace more fully. Father, do be glorified us in us. In your name I pray. Amen. Suzanne and I had all the kids and all the grandkids at home for Christmas. It was great. I have a warning on my watch, by the way. It's set up so that when the noise level gets too loud, it warns you and says the decibel levels are high and you may need to put on ear protection or uh, um, make an adjustment in your environment. That only went off a few times while the whole family was at the house. But it was great, good fun. Uh, we're used to, we have, our grandkids go from Keegan, who is our oldest grandchild, who is, I don't know, 21, 22, I'm kidding. 15 or 16, right? 15 years old, all right? Stephen's like, don't hurry that up. 15's enough. 
15 years old, all the way down to Bristol, our youngest grandchild, who is somewhere around 8, 9, 10 months. Seven months. I was close. Okay. I have family, so I don't have to remember these things. I just wanted to make you aware. But Levi was walking around the house during Christmas, and somebody was trying to put something together for him. And Levi is at that age where he said, I'm going to do it. I'll do it myself. Not you, me. I'm going to do it. And I thought, well, that's cute. I remember that stage. And then a little bit later, Brandon was trying to help Micah with something, and Micah said, I got this, Dad. I'm going to do it. A little bit later on, some of the teens, preteens, older kids, were doing something. And one of them said, you go away, I'm taking care of this. And I'm thinking, okay, so there's not just a stage, it's the stage that goes through life. And then, the adults were in the kitchen, and I'm not calling any names with this crew, they can fight back. But one of the adults said to them, hey, hands off, I'm doing this job. Um, and so this is an attitude that we kind of have as we go through life. From the kids who say, I can do it myself, I'm going to do it, to as adults, sometimes we get to the point where we say, what is, it, what is that phrase, you know, if you want it done right, do it yourself. Uh, our culture has this emphasis on rugged individualism. Got a chance to talk to Katie and Austin a little bit a couple of weeks ago. And uh, they live in South Dakota. And there is a strong emphasis in their neighborhood and in their community on self-sufficiency. Uh, I think, if I remember correctly, Austin said most of the people he knows that live in their community built their own houses. Okay. We have a few people who are building their own houses. And this is quite, quite a chore, quite an opportunity, but you know, most of us don't. And so there's this emphasis on kind of individualism, rugged, if you will, individualism. I don't need anyone. I am self-sufficient. I can stand on my own two feet. In technology, when it comes to the sense of individualism, there's an emphasis on isolation. And you think, wait a minute, I'm not isolated. I have Facebook, and I have uh, Instagram, and I have Snapchat, and I have a million friends. And yet, when you look at the studies, it says, yes, we are more technologically connected, but we are more interpersonally distanced than we ever have been before. Fewer people. As a matter of fact, these numbers just blow my mind. The number of people who invite people over to their house in the United States, according to surveys done, and this is a Harvard professor, and I've got it quoted. I didn't write his name down, but I will get the information for you. 67% reduction of families in the United States who actually invite people over to their house. They just don't do that much anymore. Uh, you, if you want some books on this, there's a book called Bowling Alone. Fascinating study. Uh, there's a book called uh, Cocooning by Faith Popcorn, and that's several years old. And all of these are a decade. This has been a trend that's been going on for a long time. More exposure, less connectedness. And then we have a pandemic. And in the pandemic... There are, or because of this, there are resulting requirements for quarantine and social distancing. And so to an individual, tending more isolated culture already, more 
independent, uh, don't really need anybody else. All of a sudden now, you can't go where you would go or would have gone. You can't see who you would see or would have gone. You can't have those social interactions because of social distancing, because of, of quarantining, because of uh, uh, the, the laws of the land, if you will. And many of us experience severe frustration and financial difficulties and other issues over the canceling of meetings and events and social activities and the severe restrictions that were imposed upon us. But, and I want you to be honest, how many of you felt just a little bit of relief and you thought, whew, I get to stay home. I don't have to get out. I can just stay home and do what I want to do. And, I, and, and whether you voiced it this way or not, you thought, I don't have the burden of social interaction. Now, I know that there are those of us who feed on solitude. We get our strength in quiet. And I know that there are people who are extroverts, and they are fed and nourished by interaction and by conversation with people. And typically, those two very different kinds of people are married to one another, which creates for some interesting dynamics. But the deal, rather than, I got this... I'm independent, I can do it on my own. I'm isolated, I'm sufficient. For a believer, we have, to, we have to battle that. Because the call to Christianity is a call to be part of a family. The call to Christianity is a call to, to be a part of a body, if you will. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Romans chapter 12. It is a call to be a part of a team. It is a call to be a part of relationships where we share life together. The opposite of go away, I've got this, I'm going to do it on my own, too often is go away and do that on your own, let me know when you're done. And the goal is, you're going this way, I'm going this way, let's go together. Does that make sense? Going together into the future, God has for us. Last week we studied the necessity of discovering God's leading in your life. We know that God has a purpose for each of us, a plan or a path for us. We saw Paul as an example of one who knew what God was leading him to do, an apostle of Jesus Christ, an apostle to the Gentiles, according to the will of God. We remembered and saw other passages of Scripture that affirmed the truth that we're not our own, we've been bought with a price, and we need to be willing to go wherever God leads. We need to allow God to target our lives which means our calendar and our finances and our attention and even our passions. And as we allow God to target our life, we need to make sure that we're holding nothing back. We're not dilettantes. We're not playing at this. We're all in, to coin a phrase. We are fully engaged in being obedient to where God would have us to go. And then we get to enjoy the benefits of a focused life. Every yes is a no. You're aware of that, right? Every yes is a no. When you say yes to something... You're saying no to a whole host of other things that will demand your attention. And that is a very freeing thing, to say yes to God and no to all of the things that would be a distraction. Now, if anyone was capable of going it on his own, it would have been the Apostle Paul. Paul is your classic high achiever, overachiever. High achiever, overachiever. All right? Paul was the one who always went above and beyond minimal expectations. He's driven, he's disciplined, he's fruitful on his own. This is the man who wrote much of the New Testament. Thirteen letters in the New Testament incorporated his books, credited the Apostle Paul. But he was not 
an individual blazing his own path. And you can see it in so many places. Here he says, and Timothy, our brother. This one phrase. But this is not the only place that Paul in these letters identifies co-workers, co-laborers, team members, people he invested his life in, people he opened his heart to, and people who opened their hearts to him. In uh, First and Second Thessalonians is Paul and Silvanus and Timothy. He introduces Epaphras and Epaphrodites. In Romans chapter 16, just go down the list of people that he's extending greetings to, that he's saying hello to, and that he's introducing people to. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila, Aquila and Epineus and so many people, and I won't read the whole list. Paul was one who intentionally connected with people. And that's number one on your outline, if you have not... Uh, We'll put all of them up there. But <laughs> so if you want to cheat, go ahead and fill in the blanks so you can pay attention. That's fine. But, but I do want you to know that we need to intentionally, and you may want to write that in because it's not on the outline, connect with others. Now, it's a whole lot easier and better to connect with others who are heading the same way. In this culture, and in this time, not only of social distancing, but social disconnectedness, we must intentionally connect to others. We open our hearts and open our lives, which includes our calendar and our schedule, to invest in others, allowing them to invest in us. And that's why it's important that we head the same way. Now, the principle for this is, let's just look at Timothy. How did Paul meet Timothy? Now, we haven't gotten to this in our verse-by-verse study through the book of Acts yet. This is Acts chapter 16. We'll pick back up at some point in Acts chapter 15. But in Acts chapter 16, Paul is making his second missionary journey, and he's going back to uh, Derby and Lystra. And we find the, the account of their interaction. They're, they're starting this relationship. In, second Corinthian, I mean, in Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 3. Acts 16, 1 through 3. Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy. Who is he? He's a disciple. He's a follower of Christ. He was the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. By the way, Paul was a missionary to who? To the Gentiles, primarily. Okay? Verse 2, he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And so, to do so, to equip him for what he was inviting him to do, he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, here's what I want you to grasp in this. Here we have the Apostle Paul meeting this young man, Timothy. And he doesn't just say, good job, or I'm glad you're there. He invites him to be a part of his work. And he... basically invites Timothy to allow Paul to invest his life in this young man. But note, he was a disciple, a believer, a son of a believer. He was well spoken of. He had a good reputation among other believers. They were of one Lord, of one faith, and now partners in in ministry and a calling. And so they were heading in the same direction. Now here's the principle of heading in the same direction. It's found in 2 Corinthians Chapter 6, Paul's writing to the church at Corinth. And I probably should have just focused on this, but, but, but don't lose this. Listen to what Paul's saying to the church at Corinth. There's people in Corinth who don't like Paul. They're accusing him of taking advantage. 
They're accusing him of doing things for his own own benefit, for his own name, for his own glory. Paul says to them, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. And here's the phrase, our heart is wide open. He's saying, when it comes to you, my heart's wide open. I'm not withholding anything from you. I'm not blocking or being defensive here. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. Open your hearts. Widen your hearts also. Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? I don't do this often, but I want to read this passage again in the New Living Translation. To give us a little softer vocabulary that, 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 that we might be able to grasp a little bit easier. Paul writing, same passage, New Living Translation says, Dear Corinthian friends, we've spoken honestly with you and our hearts are open to you. There's no lack of love on our part, but you have withheld your love from us. I'm asking you to respond as if you were my own children. Open your hearts to us. Don't team up with unbelievers. How can righteousness be partnered with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? That's why it's important that we intentionally pursue connectedness. We connect with people who are heading in the same direction. People who are believers. People who also desire to increasingly glorify God in their life. And that leads us to the second point on your outline. Choose your partners. Choose your relationships. Choose your friendships. Choose those who are going alongside of you wisely. Now, my dad's a preacher, as you guys know. My mom and dad, a pastor's family... I heard this verse a lot when I was growing up. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Be careful who you run with. This is what my dad's phrase. Hey, boys. Hey, boys. Sorry, my dad. It would have been a lot louder than that. Boys, be careful who you run with. Be careful who you're spending time with because... You're going to end up acting like they act. You're going to end up going where they go. You're going to end up thinking like they think. So, choose your friends wisely. Good advice, right? It is also biblical advice. It is more than advice. It is instruction for us. Proverbs 13, verse 20. Again, another verse that my father quoted to us frequently. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. That's Proverbs thirteen twenty. You want to be wise? Hang out with wise people. But if you hang out with fools or those who behave foolishly, you will suffer harm. There are, listen to me, I want to be careful here. But there are some people you're going to need to disconnect from. There are going to be some people who are not going the way that you're going. There are going to be some people 
who you need to love, don't misunderstand me, and you need to behave with grace toward them, but you need to not open your heart to them in the sense of partnership, because what fellowship has light with darkness? Do you understand what I'm saying? You are going to wisely need to establish boundaries and to lead your kids, if you will, to establish boundaries. There are people from whom you're going to need to reduce your connection if they're not heading the same way, if they are continually seeking to redirect your life from God's leading. And so what you do is you ask God to bring people into your life who are heading the same way. And the best way to do that is you be heading that way actively and look around and see who else is going in the same direction. Now, I will tell you this. Sometimes those who love us best and those who are heading in the same directions are those who wound us. You guys know that faithful are the wounds of a friend, correct? I don't mean that you disconnect from people who make you angry. I don't mean that you disconnect from people who will offend you. Sometimes you need to be offended in order to be able to reassess, in order to be able to hear from the Holy Spirit, in order to be able to hear from God. And I'm not saying you made me mad so the preacher gave me permission to not be your friend anymore. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I am saying is that if they are heading in the same direction and they are a friend and they are faithful, you allow them, you open your heart to them, you allow them to speak into your life. But if they are heading in the wrong direction, there are some people that you need to reduce your connection with. Now, again, I'm not talking about using people as a means to an end or manipulating people to enable you to accomplish the things that you want. There are users and there are abusers. This is not, I need you to help me succeed in my goals. This is, you and I are pursuing the same goals. So let's walk together and encourage one another. Does that make sense? Many of you know I'm part of a run group that Ashley coaches, and um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fun group. Can you think of any more individual sport than running? Do you ever think of running as a team sport? You probably haven't thought about it. But I will tell you, those of us who run, we, 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 we think about it. You don't get much more individual than running. It's just you and your feet and your head. And sometimes your feet and your head don't get along. But what we have discovered, what I have discovered since I've been a part of this group, is that running is not an individual sport. I can run better. I can run faster. I can run longer. I can be more consistent when I'm running with someone else. Now, if we're running at radically different paces or we're running in different directions, that's not teamwork. But when we're shoulder to shoulder, side by side, sometimes they will run ahead, sometimes I will run ahead. Usually not. Mostly they're running ahead and I'm struggling to keep up. But we run together and it is an encouragement and accountability to us both. This is what I mean by teamwork. I'm talking about using your companions wisely. Those of you who are running in the same way and being willing to take a risk and open your hearts. Now, I want to go through this list of five things really quick. They are not on your worship guide. But I think these are things that are really important to us, should be really important to us. We talk about living life together. First of all, one of the reasons that we don't is, number one, pride gets in the way. Pride gets in the way. 
One of the reasons that we don't live in harmony with one another, one of the reasons that we don't open our hearts to one another is because of the pridefulness of our own heart. Paul told uh, Timothy in a letter to Timothy, he said, the day is coming when men will be lovers of self. I think we've arrived. Don't y'all think we've arrived? Isn't this a day when men love themselves? And we're all about self-care, and we're all about self-this, and we're all about self-that. In Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Rome, which is made up of a really diverse congregation. And he's giving them instructions on how to live with one another. And he tells them a a variety of different things, that they're to honor one another, that they're to... uh, if you start in verse 9, let your love be genuine, genuine, without hypocrisy, abhor that which is evil, hold fast to good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. We'll come back to that later if we have time. Don't be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation, constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Now listen to this. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. That's the same word as prideful. Haughty. Do not be filled with pride. But associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Here's the problem that we often face is that we feel like everyone else is lowly. Everyone is beneath us. Our esteem is, 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 is really high. We think we're the best leaders. We think we have the right decisions and know, have the right answers and know the right way. Pride gets in the way. Did the Apostle Paul ever struggle with pride? You guys remember how we described Paul as the high achiever, overachiever? In Philippians, he kind of gives his history, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee. In Galatians, he tells us he far surpassed his peers, uh, that, that he was uh, faithful to the law. And he had all of these successes that he had done. And then Jesus met him on the road to Damascus, and now his life was no longer his. You think that as a man, this young man struggled with pride? I believe he did because in 2 Corinthians 12 where Paul talks about the thorn in the flesh. You guys remember that passage? If you'll not, I'll keep talking. You guys, I'll talk faster. How about that? You guys remember that passage where he says he had a thorn in the flesh? How many times did he pray that God would remove it? Three. Thank you. Those of you doing sign language. Pray. Three. God prayed. He prayed three times that God would remove it. And the Lord said, no. And what did God tell him? My grace is sufficient for you. Why did God give him a thorn in the flesh? It's in the same passage. Why did God give him a thorn in the flesh? In order that he may not be prideful. To deal with this temptation to pride. To make him, at least in some respects, fully dependent upon God and dependent upon others. Pride gets in the way. Second thing. And I'm expecting an amen on this one. People are messy. Amen? People are messy. If everyone would just do what we want them to do, the way that we want them to do it, when we want them to do it, life would be fine. But nobody does that. We don't even do that ourselves. 
People have their own background. People have their own attitudes. People have their own little idiosyncrasies, things that define them, things that make them up. They have opinions and attitudes, beliefs and behaviors that do not one-to-one correspond with ours. They stretch us, they challenge us, they frustrate us, they cause us to question the value of spending time with them or the value that they should hold in our lives. People are messy. And it becomes a challenge to live in harmony with them, to partner with them, to connect with them intentionally walking in the same direction. Pride gets in the way, people are messy, and frankly, it's just hard. Number three, it's just hard. It requires my time. It requires my resources. It requires energy and effort and intentionality on our part. And I have to tell you, I don't know. Do we have any lazy people here this morning? Yeah, and I don't want you pointing at each other, okay? Do we have any lazy people here this morning? There is a biblical principle that says... Actually, it's not. this is not a biblical quote, but there is a principle that is borne out in Scripture that says, almost always, the hard thing to do is the right thing to do. Do you hear that? Almost always, the hard thing to do is the right thing to do. And you need to resolve to do what is right. People are messy. The fourth thing, pride gets in the way. People are messy. It is hard. And number four, you will get You will get hurt. Did the Apostle Paul ever get hurt by his companions, people he had connected with? Oh, yes, he did. Of course he did. 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul writes to Timothy, this Timothy that he's just identifying as a brother, and he says, Demas, his love for the present world, he's deserted me. He went to Thessalonica. Crescens, he's gone to Galatia. Titus is in Dalmatia. I'm here alone except for Luke. So, Timothy, I want you to come and I want you to bring Mark. Later on, he's just a few verses down, he's warning Timothy. He says, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him because he strongly opposed our message. And when I had legal trouble at my first defense, no one came and stood by me. Everybody deserted me. May it not be charged against them. Here's his response. I was hurt. I was abandoned. I was left alone by those I had intentionally connected to. But I don't want this lady to the church. Father, forgive them. I don't want them. He was forgiving when he was hurt. Sometimes when we get hurt, we back up and we close the doors. And we build walls and we don't want to get hurt like that again. So we establish wrong borders. We need to keep our hearts soft. Remember what Paul told the church at, at Corinth? Open your hearts. Continually Open your hearts. When you are hurt, forgive. When you are hurt, don't allow bitterness to take root. When you are hurt, don't retreat into isolationism. Rather, when you are hurt, do what Paul says. Trust God. It's what he told Timothy he did. He said, the Lord is the one who is going to rescue me from every evil deed. He is the one who is going to bring me safely into His heavenly kingdom. To Him be glory forever and ever. And that's the desire of our heart. And so the fifth thing... Four reasons it's hard. Pride gets in the way. People are messy. It is hard. You will be hurt. But the fifth thing, it's worth it. It's worth it. Intentionally connecting with people, it's worth it. We're designed by God to be in relationships, to be a people. We cooperate. We share. We fellowship. Koinonia. Man, there's so much more. But I won't. I won't. I'll keep focused on this outline. The third point that I want you to remember is that we need to continually lift one another up. Paul says that 
to the church at Colossians. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the will of God, and Timothy, our intern, our apprentice, our associate, our helper. Did he say any of those things? What do you call him? Our brother. He also calls him in other passages of Scripture, our co Worker, our co-laborer, Sun Ergan, S-U-N, Sun, I can't pronounce it well, Sun Ergan, our co-worker, our partner in the work. He is also called a, 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 a Sundulas, our co-servant, working together. He is exalting publicly and encouraging publicly his brother, Timothy. When he's talking about Timothy to the church at Philippi, he says to them, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered on by news of you. And here's how he describes him. I have no one like him. There's no one like Timothy in my life. And he will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. The others seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy and his proven worth. How as a son with a father he has served me, in the gospel. It's what Paul encouraged the church at Thessalonica to do in First Thessalonians chapter 5 when he says, I want you to do what you've been doing, but I want you to do it even more. I want you to continue to encourage one another and to build one another up just as you have been doing. So what do we do in these relationships where we intentionally connect with people heading the same way, we choose our friends wisely, we open our hearts to one another, and then we build one another up. Let me tell you, what does familiarity do? Famili- Have you guys ever heard the phrase, familiarity breeds what? Contempt. Famili- which means the better you know me, the less you like me. Familiar- <laughs> That's what it means. Familiarity breeds contempt. And here's what happens. You see someone, and you're like, I think I'd like that person. There's somebody heading in the same direction. We're going to be partners in ministry, and you go and talk to them, and yeah, they have the same ministry goals, and then you start to spend time with them, and they start to get on your nerves. And they become irritating, and then they'll start to text, and you don't want to respond to their text. Or they'll start to call, and you'll let it go to voicemail. Or they will invite you to something, and and you will have a conflict, and if you don't have one, you'll, you'll figure one out. Because... The better you know them at this level, again, there's that first almost infatuation. The better you know them at this level, all of a sudden there becomes those little things that become, you become more familiar and it becomes more of an irritant and it becomes more frustration. And this can pull you apart from one another. And what Paul says and what Scripture teaches is God uses those frustrations, God uses those differences, God uses that roughness of those relationships to do what? To make you more like Christ. To refine your attitudes, to encourage you, or to to allow the Holy Spirit to convict you, to make adjustments in your own attitudes, beliefs, and behaviors. And you become more transformed through these sanctifying relationships and partnerships. Now make sure you're going the same way. Make sure you've chosen these people wisely that you're living your life with. But as you do that, you need to make sure that you check your heart, that you are encouraging them, and that you are lifting them up. Another way to say this is you need to esteem them highly. 
Now, was Timothy perfect? Easy answer, no, he wasn't. Timothy was often timid, shy, facilitating, weak. And Paul wrote two letters to Timothy that we have in the New Testament. They're called 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. Very creative, but very important. 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. What is Paul doing in those books? What is Paul doing in those letters? He is correcting, encouraging, and instructing. Okay? And what's the name of those books? 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. Paul writing to Timothy, he corrects him personally. But when Paul's writing to the church at Colossae, and when Paul's writing to the church at Philippi, and when Paul was writing to the church at Corinth, what does he say about Timothy? Got nobody like him. He's faithful. He's committed to the gospel. He is my co-worker. He is my partner in ministry. Let me tell you something. When you are living your life together in relationships, and you should open your heart, pursue connectiveness with the risk, you need to esteem those. You need to encourage and lift up those who you are working with together. If correction needs to be done for faithful are the wounds of a friend, you do that in private. But you also need to guard your heart to make sure that you are esteeming them appropriately. To live with people in those relationships requires that you extend grace. And frankly, that you be willing to receive grace also. The principle here is correct in private, praise in public, and make sure that you are maintaining a right attitude. Here's the point. And I'll close. This is important. For us to increasingly glorify God in 2022, first thing is that we need to make sure that God is targeting our life, getting our life on target according to God's will, going where God leads. But the second thing is you don't go it alone. You don't go it alone. You don't even try it alone. You don't attempt it alone. You open your hearts to others. And you do that, you can do that, because like Paul, the Lord will rescue you. The Lord will care for you. The Lord will be your strength and your shield. The Lord will free you from every evil deed. The Lord will bring you safely into His heavenly kingdom. And our prayer and our desire, as we go where God leads us this year, is to Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, thank You for the example that we have of Paul who opened his heart to people. He was hurt by people. He was betrayed by people. He was abandoned by people. And yet he didn't allow it to make him bitter because his trust wasn't in those people. It was in you. Father, we want our lives to increasingly glorify you. We want our church and our congregation to increasingly glorify you. And there are things that have kept us, in some respects, from opening our hearts to other people. Sometimes it's just our own pride. We are a stiff-necked people, and we are stubborn. And I pray that you'll convict us of that, where it's true, that you will lead us to repentance and faith and submission to you that you'll cleanse us of that sin. Sometimes it's just lazy. It's hard. It requires effort and intentionality. And I pray, Father, that we will remember the days are short, that our time on earth is short, that we want you to be increasingly glorified, and that means that we need to be willing to open our hearts to one another, not, 
not purposefully restrict him. I pray that you'll help us to be wise, to know who we need to be discipling and being discipled by as we spend time together heading in the same direction. And I pray for us as a church, Father, that you will direct us uniformly by your Holy Spirit that leads us, that we will be united and unified as we walk in obedience to you together, that we will indeed open our hearts to one another and experience your sufficiency in every one of those relationships. Fill us with grace. Make us increasingly kind. And let the world know that we're Christians by the love that we have for one another. In your name I pray. Amen.